0: This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and thanks for being here with me at Self Work. Today's podcast is because the events that surround us the violence, the hatred, can be overwhelming. And when I sat down to record this morning, these tragedies were on my mind, and I didn't know what I might have to say that would matter. Then I remembered a story, a stranger's kindness, and I'm going to tell you that story. Plus, I don't know if you heard a commencement speech several years ago. It was back in 2013 that was given, but I've never forgotten it, and I'm going to share some of that commencement speech with you it's also about kindness. I also want to be quick to say that I entitled this Kindness Matters not as any kind of provocation of the other phrases that use the word matter. I just wanted to say that kindness also matters. So thanks for joining me. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and we're going to be talking today about kindness. First, I want to tell you a story. It was the summer of 1988, and I was getting my second divorce. There were tears running down my face as I made myself trudge the path around White Rock Lake in Dallas. I can remember the sky was beginning to light up. It was really muggy. There was a sun glittering between the leaves of the trees surrounding the lake. I've always been an early riser, but that morning... I couldn't stand the anxious pressure I immediately felt when I opened my eyes. I had had to find my shoes and head out to the lake for a walk, knowing that it wasn't the safest time to be alone on that trail. My life was an absolute mess because I had made it that way. The shame I felt was immense. The failure? Seemingly unbearable, at least that morning. As I slowed up a bit, I saw an older man I'd never seen before— "'fishing off a pier that stuck out in the water. "'He saw me as well and smiled. "'It was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. "'The only sounds were chirping birds "'and the occasional plop of a fish. "'But before I went on, for some reason, "'I still don't really understand, I approached him. "'Hi. Caught anything?' "'He must have been able to see that I'd been crying, "'but he didn't say a word about that. "'Yep. You fish?' I don't really remember the rest of our conversation. All I do remember is that I eventually spill my guts. I cried and cried, and he listened. He was kind and comforted me. I have never forgotten him. Our world and our culture is full of hate and fear. Perfect strangers harm one another. People hate us for the color of our skin, what gender we love, what are who we worship. Our own home can be a place filled with vicious anger and abuse. It can feel as if there's no safety anywhere. These past few months and years, I've been as despairing as any about the violence in our country and in our world. I've tried to keep the families and friends of those killed in my heart and mind. Today, I remembered the fishermen, Years ago, I had searched for him on the trail as my heart healed slowly. I wanted to thank him for what he had done for me that morning. But I never saw him again. Sometimes, some unexpected someone can save your life. Someone who doesn't look like you or share a similar story. Someone who arrives without fanfare and disappears, never expecting gratitude. Maybe he stopped for you in traffic, and if he hadn't, that truck would have rolled over you instead of the curb. Maybe she saw your child running off from you in the park and led him back to you. You'd been busy watching your other kids and didn't see. Maybe some secretary heard the urgency in your voice and found a way to get your mother in to see the doctor. That was the day they found the cancer, and it was so important to begin treatment then. Those people didn't care or even think about your race, Creed or religion, they made a choice to be kind, to be tuned in to the needs of others around them. These small acts of kindness never make it onto the news. Sometimes we're not even aware that they've happened, but they do all the time, every day. And to me, it feels healing to remember. George Saunders, who's an American writer, gave a commencement speech in 2013. It was not about his accomplishments. It was not about some sage piece of advice to give the students so that they would be monetarily successful in life. They would be famous, perhaps like him. So I'm going to read it to you with, of course, my gratitude to George Saunders with his eloquent words. Down through the ages, a traditional form has evolved for this type of speech, which is... Some old fart his best years behind him, who over the course of his life has made a series of dreadful mistakes, that would be me, gives heartfelt advice to a group of shining, energetic young people with all of their best years ahead of them, that would be you. And I intend to respect that tradition. Now, one useful thing you could do with an old person, in addition to borrowing money from them or asking them to do one of their old-time dances so you can watch while laughing, is ask, looking back what do you regret? And they'll tell you. Sometimes, as you know, they'll tell you even if you haven't asked. Sometimes, even when you've specifically requested they not tell you, they'll tell you. So what do I regret? Being poor from time to time? Not really. Working terrible jobs like knuckle puller in a slaughterhouse? And don't even ask what that entails. No, I don't regret that. Skinny dipping in a river in Sumatra, a little buzzed, and looking up and seeing like 300 monkeys sitting on a pipeline, pooping down into the river, the river in which I was swimming with my mouth open naked, and getting deathly ill afterwards, and staying sick for the next seven months. Not so much. Do I regret the occasional humiliation? Like once, playing hockey in front of a big crowd, including this girl I really liked, I somehow managed while falling and emitting this weird whooping noise to score my own goalie, while also sending my stick flying into the crowd, nearly hitting that girl? No, I don't even regret that. But here's something I do regret. In seventh grade, this new kid joined our class. In the interest of confidentiality, her convocation speech name will be Ellen. Ellen was small, shy. She wore these blue cat's-eye glasses that at the time only old ladies wore, When nervous, which was pretty much always, she had a habit of taking a strand of hair into her mouth and chewing on it. So she came to our school in our neighborhood and was mostly ignored, occasionally teased. Your hair tastes good, that sort of thing. I could see this hurt her. I still remember the way she'd look after such an insult, eyes cast down, a little gut kicked, as if having just been reminded of her place in things, she was trying as much as possible to disappear. After a while, she'd drift away, hair strands still in her mouth. At home, I imagined, after school, her mother might say, you know, how was your day, sweetie? And she'd say, oh, fine. And her mother would say, making any friends? And she'd go, sure, lots. Sometimes I'd see her hanging around alone in her front yard, as if afraid to leave it. And then they moved. That was it. No tragedy, no big final hazing. One day she was there, next day she wasn't. End of story. Now, why do I regret that? Why, 42 years later, am I still thinking about it? Relative to most of the other kids, I was actually pretty nice to her. I never said an unkind word to her. In fact, I sometimes even mildly defended her. But still, it bothers me. So here's something I know to be true, although it's a little corny, and I don't quite know what to do with it. What I regret most in my life are failures of kindness. Those moments when another human being was there in front of me, suffering, and I responded sensibly, reservedly, mildly. Or to look at it from the other end of the telescope, who in your life do you remember most fondly, with the most undeniable feelings of warmth? Those who were kindest to you, I bet. It's a little facile, maybe, and certainly hard to implement, but I'd say as a goal in life, you could do worse than... Try to be kinder. Now the million-dollar question. What's our problem? Why aren't we kinder? Here's what I think. Each of us is born with a series of built-in confusions that are probably somehow Darwinian. These are, one, we're central to the universe. That is, our personal story is the main and most interesting story, the only story, really. Two, we're separate from the universe. There's us and them out there, all that other junk dogs and swing sets and the state of Nebraska and low-hanging clouds and, you know, other people. And three, we're permanent. Death is real, okay, sure, for you, but not for me. Now, we don't really believe these things. Intellectually, we know better, but we believe them viscerally and live by them, and they cause us to prioritize our own needs over the needs of others, even though what we really want in our hearts is to be less selfish, more aware of what's actually happening in the present moment, more open, and more loving. So the second million-dollar question, how might we do this? How might we become more loving, more open, less selfish, more present, less delusional, etc., etc.? Well, yes, good question. Unfortunately, I only have three minutes left. So let me just say this. There are ways. You already know that because in your life, There have been high kindness periods and low kindness periods. And you know what inclined you toward the former and away from the latter. Education is good. Immersing ourselves in a work of art, good. Prayer is good. Meditations, good. A frank talk with a dear friend. Establishing ourselves in some kind of spiritual tradition. Recognizing that there have been countless really smart people before us who have asked these same questions and left behind answers for us. Because kindness, it turns out, is hard. It starts out all rainbows and puppy dogs and expands to include, well, everything. One thing in our favor. Some of this becoming kinder happens naturally with age. It may be a simple matter of attrition. As we get older, we come to see how useless it is to be selfish, how illogical, really. We come to love other people and are thereby counter-instructed in our own centrality, We get our butts kicked by real life, and people come to our defense and help us, and we learn that we're not separate and don't want to be. We see people near and dear to us dropping away and are gradually convinced that maybe we too will drop away, someday, a long time from now. Most people, as they age, become less selfish and more loving. I think this is true. The great Syracuse poet Hayden Carruth said in a poem written near the end of his life that he was... Quote, mostly love now, end of quote. And so a prediction and my heartfelt wish for you. As you get older, yourself will diminish and you will grow in love. You will gradually be replaced by love. If you have kids, that will be a huge moment in your process of self-diminishment. You really won't care what happens to you as long as they benefit. That's one reason your parents are so proud and happy today. One of their fondest dreams has come true. You have accomplished something difficult and tangible that has enlarged you as a person and will make your life better from here on in, forever. Congratulations, by the way. When young, we're anxious, understandably, to find out if we've got what it takes. Can we succeed? Can we build a viable life for ourselves? But you, in particular, you of this generation, may have noticed a certain cyclical quality to ambition You do well in high school, in hopes of getting into a good college, so you can do well in the good college, in the hopes of getting a good job, so you can do well in the good job, so you can dot, dot, dot. And this is actually okay. If we're going to become kinder, that process has to include taking ourselves seriously as doers, as accomplishers, as dreamers. We have to do that to be our best selves. Still, accomplishment is unreliable. Succeeding, whatever that might mean to you, is hard, and the need to do so constantly renews itself. Success is like a mountain that keeps growing ahead of you as you hike it. And then there's a very real danger that succeeding will take up your whole life while the big questions go untended. So, quick end-of-speech advice. Since, according to me, your life is going to be a gradual process of becoming kinder and more loving, hurry up. Speed it along. Start right now. There's a confusion in each of us, a sickness, really, selfishness, but there's also a cure. So be a good and proactive and even somewhat desperate patient on your own behalf. Seek out the most efficacious anti-selfishness medicines energetically for the rest of your life. Do all the other things, the ambitious things, travel, get rich, get famous, innovate, lead, fall in love, make and lose fortunes, swim naked in wild jungle rivers after first having it tested for monkey poop. But as you do, to the extent that you can, err in the direction of kindness. Do those things that incline you toward the big questions and avoid the things that would reduce you and make you trivial. That luminous part of you that exists beyond personality, your soul, if you will, is as bright and shining as any that has ever been. Bright as Shakespeare's, bright as Gandhi's, bright as Mother Teresa's. Clear away everything that keeps you separate from this secret, luminous place. Believe it exists. Come to know it better. Nurture it. Share its fruits tirelessly. And someday, in 80 years, when you're 100, and I'm 134, and we're both so kind and loving we're nearly unbearable, drop me a line. Let me know how your life has been. I hope you will say, it has been so wonderful. I don't know if I've ever heard anything at least in contemporary prose, that is more motivating about kindness than this speech. From a psychological perspective, I believe that it's all we can do about the hatred in the world. It's all we have to fight against violence. It's what I have control over right now in this moment. Your small act of kindness will never make it onto the news Today, you and I can choose to be kind. Today's listener email is from a young doctor from another country, actually, not the United States. And she writes, I don't exactly know how to begin this email, but I want to thank you for your podcasts. I struggle with anxiety and depression probably since I was 16, but I only realized it when I was paralyzed during university and I was 22. I'm assuming she means emotionally. I only asked for help when I was 24 and I had a major breakdown. It was my birthday and I simply couldn't get out of bed. I wanted so badly for the pain to stop that I was wishing I wasn't alive anymore. Nobody was expecting that. I was a great student and had excellent grades and I was engaged in a lot of extracurricular activities. But no one realized that I wasn't sleeping or eating properly and that I occupied my whole day with activities so I could be free from feeling anything. When I was home, I used to get a book and pretend to be reading, but in reality, I was having panic attacks. Since 2013, I go to therapy and I take medication. I have perfectly hidden depression. I have difficulty talking about my feelings. I don't let anyone approach me, and I keep sabotaging myself in therapy and in my life. I'm specializing in gynecology and obstetrics, and it seems to me that I'm the only one struggling, that I won't be able to go on, that I'm a terrible doctor because I can't even take care of myself. Your podcasts are helping me a lot. Thank you. So I wrote her back. Hello. If anything, I believe your honesty and openness, at least with me, about all of who you are suggests that you're going to be an excellent doctor. You're recognizing some of the ways that you're creating more problems for yourself and trying to do something about it. I don't think I began to fully mature until my early 30s. I'm sorry that you've struggled with thoughts of death being welcome. That can be terrifying to feel. I'm not sure how you're sabotaging yourself in therapy, but perhaps you could show your therapist some of my posts on perfectly hidden depression. That might help. The panic attacks may suggest that there's something you're not addressing that badly needs your attention. I'm wondering if you've had some kind of abuse or trauma in your life that you haven't revealed, and perhaps you're discounting it. I tell my patients all the time that I can only help them as much as they're honest with me and, of course, themselves. Please fight for yourself. If I can help in that fight, then I'm honored. Take good care. And then she wrote back. Yes, I can be perfectly open about myself and my anxieties and depression, but there's a catch. I can only do it when I'm writing. I have a hard time talking. Sometimes I go to therapy and it's like I've lost my voice or like someone is holding my throat. It's painful. I've tried to write things down on paper with the intention to read it out loud or give it to the therapist, but I can't even get the notes out from my bag. How can I start talking? So obviously, there is some kind of shame that this woman is dealing with. Shame is what is keeping her from revealing. Many of the people who've written me are dealing with shame. First of all, I want to remind you and this listener that I do have an episode on shame. I believe it's nine, Healing from Shame. But what I would do in this instance, I would talk to the therapist about this very process. I would say, I have something in my bag that I'm so afraid to show you because I'm afraid what you might think if that indeed is what it is. And so you talk about the process of opening up before you ever open up. Your therapist can ask you questions like, well, what would it be like if I knew something about you that you found so difficult to talk about you can't even get it out of your throat? You began to explore what that would be like before ever doing it. It's almost like you're visualizing yourself doing it prior to doing it. That can be a very helpful way to approach something this difficult. This podcast was a little different today. I happened to record it right after the Charlottesville incident. And I was just so sad and felt so helpless and decided perhaps I could talk about kindness. We've got to remember that our choices are important. We're all connected. So thank you for listening to this podcast. There are lots of ways of reaching out to me. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. You can get on my website, which is DrMargaretRutherford.com. And you can subscribe and get both my podcasts and my posts if you'd like. I'd so appreciate it if you'd rate or review this podcast and subscribe. The ratings and reviews really help other people find self-work. And I would be very grateful for that. And the subscription, of course, is wonderful. (laughs) Because I know people are counting on me to get back with them. I also, I, I don't mention this on every podcast, but I do have a little gift book that I've written. It's called Marriage is Not for Chickens. And if you want to be kind to someone who's getting engaged... Or getting married or is having an anniversary or perhaps to the person you love. It's under $10. It's available on Amazon. It's about a four minute read. <laughs> and I think it's both funny, poignant, tender, and it basically supports marriage and good partnership. Thanks again for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret and this has been self work.